Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I am so excited. We're starting a new mini-series here on the Rambling Runner podcast, Marathon Milestones, with Alexis McCoy. This is going to be really enjoyable. Alexis was on the podcast almost exactly one year ago as part of our virtual Boston Marathon running series, and I am so excited to talk to her again because she's about to embark on something that is just so awesome. She's going to be running Boston, she's going to be running New York, and she's going to be running the California International Marathon, CIM, all this fall, and it's going to be so exciting, and this is kind of like the first episode in that series, and it's just going to be great. This woman's awesome, she has so much fun, she has so much insight, and she's a dedicated amateur runner, just like you and I, not some amazing superhero who can just do anything that she, anything that he or she wants, right? Like, Granted, Alexis can do that and more, but um, it's someone who's relatable. And that's exactly what I was looking for. And that's exactly who Alexis is. So before we get into it, I do want to say thank you to Brio for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Brio is my go-to for warm-up and recovery when it comes to running. I absolutely love the Brio mini massage gun for warm-up. So I use that all over my body, my body, mostly my, my legs and my glutes, um, you know, quick five minutes before the run, and it's great. It works so well. With that said, in addition to that, I love the foot massager. The foot massager is incredible. Not only do I love it, literally my entire family and extended family have ordered the foot massagers. I can't even get this thing. I can't even use it because my wife is constantly using it. My mother-in-law comes across the street and uses it. It's just the real deal. You got to check this out. If you use code RamblingRunner, you'll save 17% at checkout at us.brio.com. And believe me, you're, this money's going to go really, really far. It's not just what things cost in this life. It's about the value you get out of them and the durability that they have. These things have been put through the ringer. They're still kicking. They're absolutely fantastic. Go to us.brio.com and get the warm-up and recovery tools that will make you not only a more fit athlete, so make sure that you can get out there and do the things you want to do without crumbling. You know, we all talk about pre-run activation. It's a big deal, and the, and the percussion guns are a part of that, but the recovery with the feet. My goodness. Now that my wife is teaching, she's back into school past two weeks, she loves the foot massager even more. So with that being said, let's get into this episode with Alexis McCoy. Alexis McCoy, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Matt. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to have you back. Last time you were on the show, it was a great episode. A lot of people took a lot from it. We talked about your running background. We talked about like your Boston Marathon experience. You were there during the bombing. You talked about like what you've done since then. And you awesome stuff. It was really, it was a really fun episode. A lot of people liked it. I will say, if you want to get the full Alexis McCoy history <laughs> experience, go back to that episode. I'll put a link in the pot in the show notes and you will be good to go. That was like about a year ago or so. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's about a year ago today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you think about two episodes a week, so about 104 episodes ago or so. <laughs> so around, yeah, around 250, 250, 260, something like that. Um, 
But I want to get you back on the show because you're doing some awesome stuff. And I'm so excited for this marathon season that we got coming up. <laughs> a lot of people are doing interesting things. A lot of people are doing more than one marathon. And you, my friend, are tackling it like going full force. This is really exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I think like many other people, my perspective on racing changed over the past year. I've always been someone that likes racing, but when races were canceled, taken away, and I continued to train, I realized how hard that was mentally to train with nothing on the calendar and just feeling so hopeful every month, like, oh, maybe this race will happen and just I'd sign up and get canceled. So when I had the opportunity this year to jump in Boston, use my qualification and get into Boston, and when I had the opportunity to defer New York City from last November to this November, and then the same with CIM, I just decided I'm not going to turn down this opportunity. The one thing I've learned is you cannot take these races for granted. You just, you can't. And I have so much gratitude and a different perspective on training and racing because of last year. All right. So tell me again, what are the races you're doing this fall? Okay, so Boston, and Boston is Monday, October 11th, and then New York City is November 7th, and then CIM will be the last one. I think that's like December 3rd or 5th, yeah. Right, first weekend in December every first, year. This yeah, is first You're doing weekend. three of them. You're doing three. This is, this is really cool. Two marathon majors and CIM as well. Which is so exciting. And I I wondered how CAM was going to fare because they had a, um, again, I don't know when you registered, but last year they, they did announce there was like a five-year like window Yeah. in terms of if you sign up and the race doesn't happen, you have five years to, to reimburse. Mm-hmm. Not reimburse, but to, to um, redeem. There it is. <laughs> That's the word I was looking for. Um, five years to redeem it. So you didn't have to run CIM this year. Yeah, and it's the same with New York City. So I can't act like I was backed into a corner and told, like, you have to do it all in 2021. But um, like, I, like I said, I, I don't know. What if, what if New York gets canceled? What if CIM gets canceled? I, I learned last year that things change so rapidly in the environment that we're in right now. So I am willing to take them all on in one season because I'm just trying to stack my chances of at least one of them happening. If all three of them happen, great. No complaints. I'm so happy to have an opportunity to step on the start line of three marathons when last year it was zero. All right. So have you done anything close to this in the past? Okay. So when I was 29 years old, um, I was like five months away from turning 30. And at that time, I had run seven marathons. I woke up one day and thought to myself, I would love to hit 10 marathons by the time I turn 30. So I ran rock and roll New Orleans. Um Oh, I ran Clearwater, Florida Marathon towards the end of January that year. And then two weeks later, I ran New Orleans Rock and Roll. 
And then about like three or four weeks after that, I ran the DC marathon in March. The difference is those were purely for fun. There was no time goal. I truly wasn't doing genuine marathon training. I was like, whatever. I don't really need to do a long run. There wasn't a plan. I was honestly having fun. I was high-fiving people and taking a shot of beer if someone offered it to me. It was a good time. <laughs> that is exciting. And and I think about, all right, so this person's going to take on a really interesting challenge, certainly an adventure and something that um, is going to test their fitness and their limits and all this in a, in a very interesting way. I think, all right, well, who's going to be on this person's team that's going to help them do that? Normally, I'd be like, I wonder how the coach took this when they found out. <laughs> However... I know you're a coach, and I can only imagine that she's like, only three? Mm -hmm, mm-hmm. So that is a huge help. And my, I have to say the bigger, biggest difference for this fall and these three marathons is that my team has changed. My support that I have behind me has changed. So the one constant has been my coach this whole time. So I've been with Sarah Bishop for three and a half years now, and I know that she will be very, very honest with me and realistic and tell me what I'm doing is crazy. And then she will figure out a way to support me and teach me how to make all three happen. So she was very blunt up front and she knows that the eventual goal is sub three and I would like to shoot for sub three at CIM. And she said up front, look, you might be you might be too tired by the time CIM hits. And then once we got closer to September, we had a quick conversation about what are these realistic goals for each marathon? Let's get specific. And I feel so much better now that we have nailed down a plan. So the plan is 315 for Boston which will not be a PR for me. My PR is um, Chicago 2019. I ran a 313. So 315 for Boston, New York City, 310, CIM, attempt the sub three. And when she wrote that all out for me, I got super excited because I thought this makes sense. This, this feels like you're just taking little bites, little bites each, and it's just climb the mountain, take it one marathon at a time. But like I said, my team has shifted slightly in the fact that for the first time in my life, I am consistently strength training. I'm working with personal trainer. I've never done that for a marathon in the past. I've run 17 marathons, never done strength training. And now it's twice a week of heavy lifting and I, within the last four weeks, I started working um, with Megan Featherston, a uh, dietitian. And I just told myself, it's time to stop messing around. You can't do three marathons at age 37 without getting into the nitty gritty, looking at the nutrition, looking at the cross training, the strength training. It's not all about running. It's everything outside of running. A lot there, and I can't wait to tackle it. All right, so this is this is great. You know, people who haven't heard the Sarah Bishop podcast, she's like the most popular guest I have. So go back. There's a million of them. You know, you'll get the full Sarah Bishop experience in each of them. Um, and basically, she is someone who loves racing. 
just loves it, loves it, loves it, not only for herself, but for athletes. And racing is something that you practice. And even if it's not a race, the more races you have on the schedule, the better. And we can all make it work. And it's really exciting. I'm sure there are caveats to that general statement I just made, but I think you get the taste of what I'm trying to say. With that said, you mentioned like, hey, you know, 315 is in a PR. You did run 313 in Chicago. Obviously, Boston's a harder course. So even the 315 is not not like going to be a, you know, a coasting easy run. It's not. It's not. And I think that's a proper way to honor Boston. I am just honestly, it's a privilege to make it to the start line. And there's a part of me that just feels really sad for the people who got in for 2020 and got to celebrate that. And then when they lowered the field size to 20,000, some of the people that got into 2020 then got pushed out and they're not running. So a part of me is I don't want to just jog it and make it a fun run. I think you need to honor your own ability to be on that start line respect that course. And yes, I would say that a 313 at Chicago is, it's very different from a 315 at Boston, two majorly different courses. So it absolutely is going to be a challenge. But at the same time, I feel, I feel good. I feel like because I'm not shooting for a PR, the pressure is off, but I still want to push myself. Right. Oh, of course. Now you live in Maine. So the the Boston New England weather uh, situation is not something that's new to you. And one of the hallmarks of the spring Boston Marathon, so we're gonna have a fall one this year. Um, the spring Boston Marathon is that like no one knows anything, right? Even three days out, you don't have a real crystal idea of what some of the forecast is going to be. Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be humid? Is it going to be rainy? Chance of snow? Winds can be whatever. Could be forty miles in to ten miles an hour out. So many different things, right? With that said, do you feel like with it being middle of October that all of a sudden the weather component now is a lot different than in years past, just in terms of the variability effect? I do not. I okay. Think, I think it's a wild card. I think if you were to pick the two months where things could swing completely different ways, I would say April and October. When they announced October... I was only slightly relieved that at least it wasn't September because it can still be hot in September. And everyone knows if you live in New England, the humidity, the dew points, it it can change so wildly from day to day. And so I, I am nervous about that, to be honest. And it's something I've discussed with my coach. They have not released the times that each wave will be going off. I think there's potential for the waves to really be pushed back late. I could potentially be starting at 11 a.m. The people who are starting at 9 a.m., the elites, could have a totally different weather day than someone else. So it, I would be lying <laughs> if I said I wasn't slightly terrified that it could be hot. That's something I get nervous about. I would prefer 40 degrees, slight rain. <laughs> oh, wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all? That for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you bring up a great point from the time perspective, right? And this is something that we saw, I think, in 2019. So the year after the crazy rain, there was a year where, and yeah, it was definitely 2019. So the elites go out, and it was, remember, it was raining that morning. 
And people are like, oh my God, is this going to be a repeat of what happened? And then it got dra- it got hotter quick. It was like in 90 minutes, it went from like 42, 46 to like 78. Remember, it was like the people who started later on in the day had a completely different race experience. I was actually coaching someone who ran that day. And he was like, it was it was insane watching so many people that you knew were fit. Like there wasn't like, again, nothing against charity runners, but like it wasn't like the, some of the charity runners were walking. There were people who qualified for Boston who were walking because they just were affected by the heat in a way that they didn't expect, nor that that didn't affect the people who would run again, who left like 90 minutes earlier than them. And it can be a real thing when you get these 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 larger marathons. I wonder if it's going to be a little different just because the field size will be less. But at the same time, maybe they're going to be spacing people out more and it might just cancel each other out. Yeah. I And I remember tracking my friends during the year that you're referring to where it was the weather swing. And I agree. I would say every single person that I tracked, I know for a fact they were in the best shape of their life. Every single one of them had a bad race. And it just goes to show, I tell people, my advice for Boston is don't show up at the start line cocky. Don't show up at the start line with an ego. This course, the weather, it will eat you alive and you have to be humble about it, which my friends are. But it's so heartbreaking when you're tracking someone and you know that weather has shifted and it's it's a struggle, that, that last 10K. But yeah, I'm interested to see how far spread out we will be because the joy of Boston really is starting in that pack, the excitement of kind of being on top of each other on this tiny road. So how far will we be spread out? It's just, it's a guessing game at this point. For sure. All right. So I want to talk to you about the mileage and what you're doing from a training perspective. This is really exciting stuff. Uh, But before we get there, I I was talking about the lifting. So you mentioned before, obviously... Um, with picking up, you know, Megan Featherston as a dietitian. I just interviewed Lisa Braden yesterday, two of the people that a lot of McCurdy trained athletes work with. And and there's a lot of really good registered dietitians out there. I'm not going to say like those are only two that are good ones. I just happen to know those two and they're very, very good at their jobs. And it's, it makes all the sense in the world. You're upping your training. You got these races. Of course, you want to dial nutrition. Of course, you want to dial in the nutrition. Excuse me. With that said, with the uptick in training, explain to me the the you know, idea to go after it on the lifting as well, um, considering everything else that you're doing. I've just noticed a shift in my body over the last few years that running a marathon at 24 is quite different from running a marathon at age 37. And the more research I do, the more I see if you want to maintain your fitness continue to maintain your speed. Lifting heavy is the way to go. I think we were taught for so many years, cardio, 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 and there's nothing wrong with cardio, but trying to balance that out with building muscle, staying healthy. And for me, it's all about staying injury free. And I'm doing two hours of strength training a week, trying to fit it in as best as possible. I first started on the train of keep your hard days hard and easy days easy. And I'm finding out that's just not possible sometimes because I'm running doubles right now. And so to do like yesterday, I did um, 14 miles spread across two runs. And if I would have lifted yesterday, it would have been 
a waste. I would have been completely exhausted and got nothing out of the session. So I did the session early this morning, fresh, ready to go, fueled up. And it's making a, it's making a huge difference. And it's one of those things where you don't know if it's making a difference until you get injured and you're like, oh, I should have been doing X, Y, Z. It's like it's working and I know it's working because my body feels really good and I don't have the typical aches and pains that I usually have during marathon training. Yeah, that's a good point. And then the whole lifting heavy versus not and all of that, and especially when you talk about injury prevention, it is interesting because it, it, you have people who who are knowledgeable, who can have very different opinions, it's almost like the nutrition thing sometimes. I think less so less so for endurance athletes, where I feel like a lot of people are kind of on the same point with nutrition, um, especially when it comes to female athletes. And we've talked about on this episode before, or this podcast before, of just like there are some people who will go paleo with endurance training and that there are some people who can get away with it, but they're almost never women, that there's just hormonal stuff that will happen that it's just – it's. It's just a an awful, awful idea. So I also wonder from a lifting perspective, um, you know, what, what works better for certain people and just the the differentiation there, right? Because there's some certain people who will be super healthy and do like, hey, I do body weight stuff and I'm super healthy, right? And there's other people who take a very different approach. And it's it's um again, I don't I'm not posing this as a question because I think neither of us are in a position to like make a definitive scientific statement, but it is interesting how different things work for different people and, and how different approaches can be attractive to different people. Yeah. It's for me, especially during the, I started the lifting during the pandemic and it became a, a new way to feel strong. And I noticed just my shift in my mental state was just as great as my shift in my physical state. I think as a female, it's really fun to feel strong. And I never thought I'd say this, but I own a barbell. I It's like as a distance runner to be deadlifting and do power hang cleans. It's extremely empowering. And honestly, even if I weren't a runner, I at this point, I would continue to lift. It's become its own thing that makes me extremely happy and I look forward to working with my trainer and it's fun to learn something new. I'm constantly asking her questions. What what does this lift, this move translate to to running? Like what muscles are we focusing on? And anyone if it's body weight or pilates or yoga, if it gets you more connected with your body and help you if it helps you understand your body better then then why not it's going to benefit you and the work that you're doing i'd love to just in a second you give us like an example of some of like the routines that you're doing and stuff like that are is it purely like help me all right all right lifting coach help me with my running or is it some of it just lifting for lifting sake and enjoying that process and doing some of the lifts it is specifically to help me with my running so I want the lifting to complement my running. I don't want it the other way around. I am purely there to stay injury-free so I can run as long as I possibly can. So that is always the focus, especially right now. My mileage is the highest it's ever been. So we're making sure that I'm not lifting too heavy. It's not The point is not to be so exhausted that I have trouble running the next day. That would be a red flag. All right. So 
what are some of the exercises you're doing and that you're really enjoying? Obviously, you're a big fan of this and you've, you've yeah. been open about this <laughs> on social media. You talk about you just looking at you right now as you're talking about it. You're, la- you're laughing, you're smiling, you're really into the lifting stuff. So what what routines, what exercises are you doing that are not only complementary and helping your running, but that you personally are enjoying? So every, every session starts with uh, some work with the barbell. So today, my you know first three sets were deadlifting. And in between my set, I would do dead bug, just a core exercise that's on your back. And another session, instead of starting with deadlifting, we might start with power hang cleans, um, front squats. And once we're done with the barbell, we move to a mat where it's, you know, weighted lunges, um, a lot of core work, doing a lot of single leg work. So I'm not you know, letting one side overcompensate for the other. Um, a lot of medicine ball slams and all that good stuff. <laughs> I love it. I feel like I'm struggling to come up with like all the names for everything, but a lot of kettlebell work, kettlebell swings. We did some sumo squats with a kettlebell. It's all stuff that I think runners would easily find useful when it comes to being able to sprint at the end of a half marathon. You need those quads, you need those strong hamstrings, and you need your hips also to be strong so you're not prone to injuries. I'm someone who I tore my IT band years ago. And yeah, I didn't even think it was possible to tear your IT band. It is. And so it was an overuse injury. I wasn't doing anything but running, but pounding pavement. And so it really made me learn my lesson. And when I don't want to lift, when I feel tired, I think, remember how much it hurt to tear that IT band. And remember what the doctor said, you need to be lifting. You need to be doing something other than running. That first of all, that's, I wasn't going to start here, but how you ended that sentence is really encouraging, right? You get that doctor who isn't like, yeah, you hurt yourself running. That's what runners do. You know, so I'm like, hey, no, more exercise, right? And it's interesting how overuse injuries can be waylaid by doing more things, right? You would think like, all right, if overuse injuries is the problem, maybe I should take a step back from all the exercise I'm doing. Instead, you're like, no, I'm stepping into it and just changing maybe a little bit what I'm doing or adding something in addition to what I'm already doing and how that can, you know, really, you know, really, again, like you said, complement it in a way that it allows you to keep doing the running stuff while also continuing to, to do more athletic pursuits on the side, which helps get you stronger for your current pursuits, which is really an exciting way around the overuse injuries by doing more. Yeah. And I just want to do a special shout out. My trainer's name is Nikki Murphy and she's in Maine. If anyone from Maine is listening, I, I would be upset if I was talking all about this and never mentioned her name. <laughs> that is great. So is this, is this something like you go to her gym all the time? You mentioned you have some stuff at home as well. So that's the whole funny story about it is that we started out working out one-on-one in a gym. And then as soon as the numbers went up during the pandemic in Maine, we shifted to lifting in my garage. So this was last winter. So imagine winter in Maine. I have both garage doors open. I move the cars out. I just like throw down an old rug (laughs) and I scramble. Whatever I could find on the internet is what I ordered. It was like 
one day there was like one 15 pound dumbbell available. Yeah, there was nothing Target. available because everyone was doing this. It My gym equipment is the funniest hodgepodge you've ever seen, but she, she made it work. So she would show up in a full parka layers and I would have like this tiny little heater in the garage that did nothing. And she would put me through the workout and it'd be 20 degrees outside. And I'm like, yeah, but we can mask up, doors open, be safe. I don't want to be in a gym. And even after we've both been vaccinated and the numbers went down, we decided to continue with the garage gym because we love it. And it's so much fun. And she said, you know what? We're doing it again this winter. Let's just tough it out. All right, so you have you have a young son. What does he think? You know, your mom's turning the the garage into a weight room, and she's out here in the snow kicking butt. What was his take on this whole endeavor? He's very upset that he's not allowed to sit in on every single session. But the few times I have allowed him to come into the garage, he tries to pick up the kettlebells. We've had some close calls with him dropping the kettlebell on his foot. It's like it's not a relaxing environment. He wants to touch everything and lift everything. And he's a big extrovert. So he always wants to talk to my trainer and interrupt her and chit chat. So I feel bad for my husband because he has to run interference every single time I'm lifting. So I try to schedule the lifts after my son goes to bed or while he's in school. It's just a little like jigsaw puzzle. That's funny, right? I, I could totally imagine this. This is like, I, I'm sure all kids are like this. I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking of my kids who would do, yes. the, who do the exact same thing. Like they don't want to talk to you, generally speaking, until like you're talking to another adult, in which case they need to talk to you immediately. Yes. Like the same thing. Like, like no, it, no kid is ever thirsty until you read them a good night story, <laughs> and then they are dying of dehydration and they desperately need something to drink. Every um, night, every night, every night. Yeah, nothing. Forget, forget running the bad water one thirty-five. If you want to make get someone dehydrated, read them a good night story, and it will work every single time. Every time. Um, it's like I can totally imagine your son doing this. All right, so. You mentioned you you felt an immediate response after picking up lifting and doing all of these things. Your training last year during um, you know when all the races were canceled. I shouldn't say during the pandemic. The pandemic is still happening. But last in 2020, you know, winter of 2020, going into 2021, your training wasn't nearly at the level that it is right now. Like you're at a whole nother level, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, do you feel like you notice the lifting as much now that the mileage has has increased? Um, or is it something that like it's just like more of a, a maintenance mode with what you've already built up? So kind of kind of both. So definitely a ma- maintenance mode. What has happened the last month has been the biggest breakthrough for me because I did feel like I got to a point where I wasn't making the gains I thought. I would be, I wasn't, I was feeling strong, but I thought, oh, I'm doing all this work. And I just, I feel tired, extremely tired. And I was sore. I was not just a little bit sore, but I continue to be sore two, three days afterwards. And I was like, something's not right. And that's where the nutrition part came in. And honestly, the biggest shift I've seen, I didn't realize how good I could feel And that's because I'm now learning 
how much protein I need to consume, how many carbs I need to consume in order to build the muscle that it's like I was doing these, these strength sessions and then totally wiped afterwards. And I don't think I was getting the gains that I should have because I wasn't eating correctly. I wasn't eating to support that. My muscles were being broken down and I wasn't building them up. All right. Let's talk about the running side. Okay, so we have um, you know, you're taking on this huge challenge, right? But you've run a ton of marathons before. So marathon training in and of itself is not a novel concept for you. Not only that, you've run the three the, the, the three teams. So you're also a really good runner. So talk to me about this increase in mileage. Now you're doing doubles. Explain to me the genesis of this and the thought process behind really upping the mileage here and taking this not only from a a race perspective, taking it to another level, but from the training side as well. I think it's super important to note that this was a very slow process. Right when I tore my IT band in 2018, that was my highest mileage week ever. I ran 64 miles that week. In, within that week, I ran Big Sur. They had a 21-miler option. And if anyone's ever run in that area, it's, it's a rough course because you're up, down, up, down, up, down. You're doing a lot of climbing. And I learned it was too much for my body. Tore my IT band in the middle of a half marathon race the following week after Big Sur. And so in retrospect, it was an extremely valuable lesson to learn because I, I saw where my limit was. And ever since 2018, I've been working with my coach to just take teeny tiny baby steps with the mileage back to the sixties. And so we were a lot of training cycles. We were around like 45, 50 miles, only ever running six days a week, really taking that rest day seriously And then things shifted when I started to train for Chicago Marathon in 2019. It was the first time I had ever run seven days a week. And so that obviously allowed my mileage to go up. And the highest I hit was, I think, like 60, 61, maybe in there. And I noticed a difference that I felt better running seven days a week. And I feel like there's a lot of controversy around that. People are very serious about the rest days and that's great, but I think you should also figure out what works best for you. And maybe it's not a rest day. An easy run is not a rest day, but I am jogging on those easy runs. I am really, really keeping my heart rate low. I could have a conversation. I could sing a song. It's just Those almost, I know they're not rest days, but those almost feel like rest days because I'm taking it so easy. So from Chicago, we went back to six days a week afterwards just to kind of see how I'd feel. And I noticed I was taking advantage of that rest day by shifting my mileage. So I would have eight miles on a Monday, and if I didn't feel great on that Monday, I would say, oh, I'll just split this eight miles in between Monday and Friday, my rest day. I'll do four on Monday, four on my rest day. So obviously my coach noticed that, and I finally had to admit to her, you know what? 
I really like running seven days a week and I physically, mentally feel better doing that. So we are back to seven days a week and I prefer spreading the mile out seven days and it makes it feel more manageable. The doubles are happening because I'm in specific marathon training and the doubles are my favorite day because I like being busy. I like having to look at the day and say, how am I going to fit this in? And even if you're tired after a double day, you're just so damn proud of yourself. You're just like, look at what I did today. I can't believe I ran twice. This is crazy. Am I a psychopath for enjoying it? I just, it makes me really happy. All right. So you, you love these, you love these double sessions. That's really exciting. So are the doubles like easy day, like easy, easy, or how, how is it segmented with like the quality work or long run that you're doing? So a double is always paired with a quality session. For example, yesterday I did two minute, I did 10 times two minute repeats at 605 pace was the goal. And there was a two minute or two mile warm up, two mile cool down. So I think it ended up with the rest periods in between. I think it ended up around like 9.3 miles. So that's the quality session. And then you give yourself a chunk of the day to recover and then headed out last night around six o'clock for the second run. And that was five miles. So it's always paired with the quality session. And that second run is, is just a very casual jog. And for you from a, from a minute per mile perspective, what does casual jog mean? Like how long does that five mile run again? It's never going to be exact, but like kind of the typical range for like that five mile run. So I love that you asked this because nobody ever believes me, but you know, you're looking at those two minute repeats at 605 pace. And so you're trying to estimate your head like, Oh, what would she do for easy second run at last night? It was 10 minute pace. It was 10 minute pace. I do not mess around. I am trying to recover. And I think that is one of the most valuable lessons I've learned as a runner. When I first started, I wanted to break 3.30 in the marathon. And so I just ran everything at eight-minute pace. Everything. Easy runs, races, 5Ks, 10Ks. I was like, every just, just be an expert at eight-minute pace. And now I'm a 3.13 marathoner. So what's that average pace? Like 7.21, 7.23, somewhere around there. I would say I do 95% of my easy runs at 9.30 pace. And if it's 10 minutes... I don't care. I do not care. That's what my body feels is the right pace. And I check my heart rate. It's not the end all be all what your heart rate is every single day. But I do consciously switch my watch face over to look at the heart rate and be like, okay, great. I want to make sure I keep this down. Now, have you noticed a difference in terms of how you feel the next morning since doing these doubles and i asked this question because a few years ago rachel shakowski was on this podcast as someone who's an elite, was an elite steeplechaser and has also run like also won the hartford marathon and she was talking about how like oddly enough and she didn't expect this to happen but when she started introducing doubles she found out she, she figured she ended up being less sore 
after certain days. Not that she would do doubles all year round or doubles every day, but she did know that when she introduced it, she was surprised at how good she felt after certain uh, activities and after certain strength sessions. Uh, did you notice anything like that? Absolutely. I, uh, I woke up this morning feeling great. I had one of the best lifting sessions I've had for the past like month and a half or so. I felt strong. I honestly don't know if it's mental, if it's that extra bit of endorphins you get from a second workout, but I am amped after that second run. I have to be a little careful because I have a hard time falling asleep after a double run day. It's just so much. Evening runs. I can't, I have a hard time falling asleep after evening runs. Even if, even if they're easy runs, I, I, it's always been a struggle for me. Yeah. It's like your body is still wanting to be in motion. So I, I just, I agree. I feel great the next day. I definitely feel less sore. I'm also learning to, you know, switch my shoes out, cycle my shoes around. So I'm not using one shoe all the time for easy runs. I think that makes a difference with soreness. Um, Yeah, I can't believe I would ever say that I enjoy double runs, but here we are. Here we are. All right. And not all miles are the same. Right. Even we're talking about from a pacing perspective. Uh, So how do you incorporate or just from where you're living? You know, sometimes this isn't a choice, depending on where we live. uh, Elevation gain in hills into your running and or running on pavement versus running on some sort of uh, trail, buffed trail, you know, technical, uh, anything like that. So some of the best advice that my coach, Sarah Bishop, ever gave me was just making sure that you are incorporating hills into all of your easy runs. And that'll just make you a better runner overall. So I wouldn't say I don't have monster hills where I am, but enough where it's like a hill might be like 60 feet at elevation gain, 80 feet in elevation gain, nothing, nothing huge, but enough where I'm like, I know how to get my easy eight in while also doing uphills down, downhills. I think everyone has their favorite routes that they, you know, walk out the front door and do. So I've learned to always find those hills, keep them in mind whenever I'm planning an easy route. As far as trails, (laughs) I feel like I feel like I'm asking for injury by spending 99% of my time on pavement. I have I have patience issues with trails. As soon as I get on a trail, I hate how much I have to slow down because <laughs> it's like I'm looking for roots. You know, like the New England trail system. This I is, know it, man, for sure. The trails close to me are not super runnable. I am someone that is a huge klutz. I mean, I trip over my own two feet all the time. So the few times that I have pursued trail running, I fall every single time. And I always feel like I am, I'm asking for it. So I feel like being on the pavement is not smart 100% of the time, but me being on the trails is, I look like I'm flailing and it takes me 15 minutes to run a mile and I get mad and I'm like, I don't want to add more time on my feet. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, well, you're adding more time. Yeah. And I think for me, what was the difference? What are the big differences that I just started driving to certain trails? Yes. Right. And like, that was like, for me, and I don't even know why, but for a while it was like a certain hang up. Like, I don't, I don't want to drive to go for a run. I just don't. Mm-hmm. Right. I just don't. Like I'm going for a run. So when I walk out the door, I'm running. And it's like, 
I don't know why. I have a car sitting right there. I'm running past the car. I couldn't just get in it and go somewhere, right? Um, and and we we happen to live near a place that has like this like little horse trail next to the bike path. So it is crushed gravel. Like you would never call trail running. You would just be like, hey, this is you would never, you know, you would never tell anyone like, hey, I didn't run on the road today. I ran on the trails. Like it's just like this crushed gravel right next to a road. But it, would, it does provide that kind of opportunity if you say wanted to take a little bit of the weight off and, you know, run on something a little bit lighter. Um, but it doesn't sound like you really have that anywhere near you. Yeah. So there is a trail close to us that has crushed gravel that I could do. It's called the Eastern trail. But from that perspective, I think maybe people don't realize their hesitancy to, like you said, to get in the car and drive to a run. I think it has to do with your allotted amount of time, especially if you're a parent or even if you're not a parent and you have a super busy job, I, I have certain hours in a day and the run has, has got to happen in that time frame. And if I take an extra 10 minutes, I'm going to miss saying goodnight to my son. If I take an extra, you know, if I drive somewhere and have to drive home, then, you know, I might be late taking my son to school. So to me, that time is so precious, especially when they're super young and they want to be around you. (laughs) I would like to take advantage of the time where my son is still like a big fan of me. (laughs) This is a great point. Absolutely. And like my my day has, has drastically changed in the last year and a half. I now work from home and I do the podcast and I do coaching. But when I wasn't doing this, I had, you know, a more traditional like nine to five job. It was definitely it was definitely the case. Like I was like I don't have time to go. And even if I did have time, it would be in the morning. And it's like it's dark outside, man. I'm not gonna run on trails in the dark. Like I like you. Like I fall enough. I fall <laughs> enough. Don't need to don't need to be adding a degree of difficulty here to this endeavor. Um, but obviously, like you, know, you do what you can on the weekends and things like that. And for me, part of it's just been like oh. This was closer than I thought. Again, every I don't, I'm not projecting my experience onto you or anybody else for that matter. I just know that like I had these I had certain hangups. I was like, why did I? Looking back on it, like you know, hit myself in the head. Like yeah, you could have done that. Like you're an idiot. But it was like this. It's so funny. Like to hear people like you who were able to not only increase mileage but to do it successfully, to do it with strength training, and to do it on roads. It really shows the diligent nature that you and your coach have taken to get to this point, because a lot of people can try to do those things and maybe um, they kind of set themselves up for failure because they don't approach it in the right way. Um, and you look back on it, it, it seems like things are, are really going well for you as you build up for all, to all these amazing adventures. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's been very careful, cautious steps. And I think that's important for people to remember something that is underestimated in running is patience. I think we're always looking for the next PR for how can I get from point A to point B quicker. And for me, it's been, you know, 10 steps forward, two steps backwards. It's just been careful, careful. We'll see where my limit is and see where at what mileage do I feel super exhausted? Am I exhausted because of the running or am I exhausted because I'm not getting enough sleep? I'm not eating, I'm not eating enough. It's, it's, I have found that the biggest thing that has helped me is everything outside of running. And that has taken me 17 marathons to figure out that, 
okay, yeah, if I don't have time to do the strength training or maybe my nutrition wasn't great one day, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure I get nine hours of sleep tonight. And there's something you can do every single day that helps get you towards higher mileage or bigger goals. But it's a slow process. For sure. Well, Alexis, I am so excited for you. Thank you so much for coming back on the show to tell the story. And I'm going to put you on the spot. You want to come back after these marathons? I want to talk to you about this process because I think it's so intriguing. I'm so excited. I finally found somebody, little did I know, someone I already knew, who was doing a crazy fall adventure with all of these marathons. And it's so exciting. And I'd love to have you back on to talk about these as we progress through them. Yes. So Boston, New York, CIM. I will see you back on in December. I will be in sweatpants on the couch taking We need this to get call. you before December. We need to get you between some of these marathons too, Alexis. <laughs> okay, we can we can go we can go in between. Looking a little haggard. <laughs> I'm I'm excited. I will see you at CIM. I'll be running that one as well. That will be a great experience. I'm so excited for it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Matt. Alexis, thank you so much for coming on this episode of the podcast. We'll be checking in with her a few times during the fall, especially after her marathons. This is going to be so much fun. Also, big shout out to Brio. Go to us.brio.com today and check out their foot massagers and mini massage guns. They are the absolute real deal. Code Rambling Runner will save you 17% on that and all orders over at us.brio. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.